uh, chapter 11, and we're going to be reading verse 44. My name's Callum, by the way. Uh, we're jumping into the book of Leviticus and jumping into the middle of a conversation. A conversation between the Lord, the God of the universe, and the people of Israel. Now, God, the one speaking here, wants to be in a relationship with this people. In fact, he has chosen this people to be his people. But this relationship has complications, and we'll see that later on. First, let's look at God. Now, God is good. He's very good. In fact, he is perfectly good, which sets him apart from the rest of the universe and the people in it, including these Israelites. Now, the universe and these people were once good, but because of man's continuing rebellion against this good God, we reject what is good. Therefore, ourselves and the world around us is left imperfect. So God is holy, that's what set apart means, to be holy, and we are not holy. These Israelites are not holy, which leaves us with a question, a question which sums up the entire book of Leviticus that we're looking at. How can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? We'll read Leviticus 44, but let me first pray quickly. Heavenly Father, your word is holy. Uh, help me uh, to speak the truth from your word. Help us to be listening attentively to know what this holiness is about. In Jesus' name, amen. So Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. So in answering our question, how can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? The answer is there in the uh, second part of our reading. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. They need to be made holy. So tonight we're going to look at how these people are to be made holy, why they are to be made holy, and what it means for us. So, how are they to be made holy? The command throughout this book, the book of Leviticus, is for the people to be without sin, just as God is without sin. But here in chapters 11 to 15, there is a particular focus to have a set-apart culture. Look at the second set sentence of our verse. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. Now, what's God talking about here? He's talking about animals. And this is in reference to the rest of chapter 11, where he's talking about what animals are clean to eat and to come into contact with. Now, this idea of what is clean and unclean to the Israelites is not quite the same as being sinful or not sinful. 
it's a bit like if we were thinking of it in our culture, what is appropriate or not appropriate. Think of picking your nose. If I was to, to pick it, lick it, roll it, and flick it, you wouldn't arrest me, but it's just not clean, is it? It's just not appropriate. Don't worry, I'm not going to test the theory. But in the same way, God is modeling a new culture for these people, a culture which is set apart from anything else the world has seen. God is taking food here. He takes childbirth. He takes spots, burns, skin diseases, mold, bodily fluids, inescapable parts of everyday life, of everyday Israelite life, and changing their attitude to reflect the holy character of God set apart. So how are they to be holy? They are to live according to God's clean culture. But why? Instinctively, we would probably say this is to win God's favor, right? I mean, every ideology, every religion, every person you would speak to would have this mindset, right? Do this, this, and this. Don't do this, this, and this, and you'll achieve what you set out for. I mean, think about you want happiness by having a set-apart identity. Well, be true to yourself. Do what you want. Throw off anything unhelpful, any negative comments or thoughts. Be your true self, and you can be whoever you want to be. Or if you want to have a set-apart career, Work hard, focus on your goal, and you can achieve whatever you want to do in this life. Let no one set you off from that. Want happiness by uh, being in a relationship with a God? Well, do more good things than bad things, be nice to people, God will be happy, and he'll give you what you want. That is not the case here. Have a look again at the first part of verse 44. I am the Lord, your God. Your God. This God, the God of the universe, is already the God of this people. And the next verse actually unpacks it a little bit more for us. Have a look. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. What's God saying here? God's favor has already been won. Not by any of their actions, but by his love for these people. God saw the Israelites in their suffering, in their helplessness at the hands of the Egyptians, and he brought them up and saved them. So the call to holiness is not in order to be saved, but a fit and proper response to being saved. The Israelites are to inherit the character of God who has saved them. But there's a problem. In view of these cultural laws, one thing is clear to the Israelites. They cannot remain clean. They can't. 
These things that God is listing are part of everyday life. It is inescapable that uncleanliness comes into their life, that they need to be cleansed. And they constantly need to keep going back for sacrifices, for offerings, just in order to maintain this relationship with a holy God. It's a limited relationship. And it cries out saying that there needs to be a better sacrifice, a holy sacrifice that can make them holy. It points forward to Christ. God in human form who lived the holy life. Though exposed to the same temptations that you or I face, he went through life, he fulfilled the requirements of God's holy law perfectly. And at the cross, he took our sin. He took our uncleanness. He took our impurity upon himself. The body of Christ is broken for you. The blood of Christ is shed for you. Why? So that you might be saved from your sin if you admit your guilt and accept his holy offer. But also that you might be holy as Christ is holy. Christ cannot just be our savior. He must be our Lord, meaning we need to do what he commands. And Christ calls us to be holy. He may have renounced these cultural laws that we're looking at, but the moral laws of holiness still stand to model and display God to a world who does not know him. So how ought we to respond? First of all, we need a right view of holiness. Good works and a moral life will not make us right with God. Coming to church, being baptized, taking communion cannot save you. Only the blood of Christ can. And if you have not yet accepted this holy sacrifice, you need to do so. But secondly, For those of you who have accepted this offer, for those of you who are Christians, I think there's some of us who follow Christ who love a bit of a to-do list with things like this. I even felt it after Liam's talk this morning. I've got to try harder to read my Bible. I've got to try and pray more. I've got to try and be joyful more. Maybe this week will be different. Now, discipline is necessary. It's essential for our walk in holiness. But let me ask you this. If we are dependent on Christ to save us, how can we not also be dependent on him in our holiness? We need to pray for his help and his spirit to walk in holiness, remembering the sacrifice he made and thanking him for that, but also asking as we walk in holiness every day and finally if these cultural laws have taught us anything it's that God demands holiness in every area of life 24 7 so are we assuming what we think is holy or are we taking God at his word at what is holy there is no habit there is no idol there is no 
addiction beyond the power of Christ to transform and make holy. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Amen.